Adrian Rogers had this saying I always loved. He said, if I had a thousand lives to live, I'd give them all to Jesus. We don't have a thousand lives to live, but I uh, resonate with the statement, you don't only have one, and, uh, and I would give that life to Jesus. Uh, let's, let's turn to Psalm 1 and Mark 1, if you can do both at the same time. We're going to read two passages together, and, uh, and Psalm 1 has been an anchored chapter for my soul for as long as I've known the Lord, and, and I want to speak from it this morning. It's the first psalm for a reason. It's sort of the introductory to all the psalms. In other words, if, uh, if you want to live a life unto the Lord, Psalm 1 is sort of telling you the, the doorway in. So let's read that together. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, its Leaf does not wither, and all he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And then Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 39. Speaking of Jesus, says, And rising very early in the morning, while it still was dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon, who was, uh, and those who were with him, searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Let's pray together. Father, I simply ask that what you would have us grab a hold of from your word this morning, well, it would grab a hold of us, and I would just ask for help. We ask for mercy. We look to you. Use this time for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was born again when I was 11 years old, and from that time to, to now, I've spent just about every Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night in church, and been to so many conferences, and, and just been so blessed with ready access to the things of God. God's just been very good to me. Um, but of all the sermons, and all the Sunday school lessons, all the conferences that I've attended, one sermon in particular has always stood out to me, and it was preached by the man who was my pastor when I was growing up. His name was uh, Steve Lewis. And one of the reasons that this particular sermon really stands out to me is that he preached it as he was literally... He was dying. In fact, it's the last sermon he ever preached, and it was preached from Psalm 1. Uh, and in essence, he was standing before his church family saying, if I can only tell you one more thing, here's what I want to tell you. And big picture, it was be a person of God's Word. Psalm 1 tells you some things not to do. You might notice in verse 1 that there's a progression from walking to standing to sitting. You walk in the counsel of the wicked, then you'll end up standing in the path of sinners, and then you'll sit in the seat of scoffers. It's, it's just a, it's not so much a progression as a degression. And, and I'm just asking you, if you just took inventory the last three months of your life, have you been stepping more and more into the things of God or stepping out of them? One way to approach this morning's sermon and, and the next couple of Sundays that we're spending to, together is... Uh, is just a, a series entitled Essentials for the Year's Ahead. So just think of it this way. If you were 
probably used this illustration before. If you were going to go to the Appalachian Trail for three days, I'm always thinking about going and never go. That's just kind of my reality. But if you were going to go and you were going to pack for three days, what would you take? In other words, what would be essential? I came close to going about six weeks ago and then didn't quite make it. But I did have a pack. And I started to think through what needs to go and then what can't go. Because the Appalachian Trail is going to be strenuous, but there'd also be glorious things to see, right? And the Christian life is going to be that way. Your year ahead is going to be strenuous in ways that you probably don't anticipate. We always make New Year's resolution. One of the resolutions should be, I don't know what's coming this year, but I am going to resolve to look to the Lord whatever comes. Now, one of the essentials for that walk with the Lord that will be strenuous, but I can assure you there will be some glorious things too until the end when it's all glorious, is that you want to have the joys of regular and worthwhile devotions. Hey, I've just been fighting a little bit of, uh, I don't know what to call it this week, because I know to stand before a church and tell a group of people you should read the Bible regularly is like the most basic thing that you could say. You know that you should read the Bible regularly. I know that I should read the Bible regularly. But, and I used to think this when I was a younger uh, man. There will come a point in my life where that fight's kind of resolved and I just read the Bible all the time, all the time, all the time, regularly. But I want you to know that this is not a legalistic obligation that I'm putting on your shoulders. I want, if, we, if this works the way that I'm prayerful that it will, when we leave, you'll have joy in wanting to pursue the Lord through His Word. Not because I have to, but God would work in a way in such, in such a way that you'd say, I get to. Let me ask it this way. What's the very first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? Maybe the second thing. Maybe I don't want to know what the first thing is. It's the very first thing that you think. You know what it is for me, honestly? What day is it? And, and, and then my mind starts going. In fact, if I wake up at 3, I have this internal fight with myself. Don't start thinking. Don't start thinking. Just go back to sleep. But here's what I want you to begin to think. When you wake up, it's not going to come natural. It may come supernaturally of the Spirit. Begin to think, I get to seek the Lord right now. I get a day from Him. I I get to seek the Lord right now. So so I want to give you three exhortations from Psalm 1 and Mark 1 uh, uh, this morning as we talk about the essentials for the year ahead. And and I mean that word, essential. You, You have to cultivate the habit of regularly meeting with God in His Word, or you're going to drift, you're going to burn out, you're going to drop out. That's what's going to happen. So, so it's essential that you cultivate the habit of regular time in the Word. And, and this morning and next Sunday, we're going to talk about both what to do and also how to do it. Because I think most people that I talk to say, yeah, I know I should be in the Bible. But then you get there. You get there Monday morning, got your coffee, 7 a.m. or whenever it is, and you open it, I should be here. Now what do I do? So we're going to talk about that today and, and next Sunday. I think about it a little bit this way. I know we're coming out of Christmas season, uh, but It's a Wonderful Life is like my movie. I just love It's a Wonderful Life. And my favorite scene from any movie takes place at the end of It's a Wonderful Life. How many of you have never seen It's a Wonderful Life? It's usually the younger people. Okay, well, yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised at you. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm going to do a little spoiler, but you've had 70-some-odd years to see it by now. So at the, at the end of the movie, George Bailey, played by Jimmy Stewart, 
is at the end of his rope. Man, he's barely hanging on. So much has stressed out him out in his life that, that he's thinking about ending his life. That's, that's where the movie starts. And then they tell his story, his, his, his life, that he met one frustration after another. And all the things that he wanted to do in his life, he wasn't able to do. And then the storyline goes that, that uh, his guardian angel, it's not theologically accurate, but just hang with me. His guardian angel comes and shows him what the world would be like if he had never lived. And without going into great detail, that helps transform his mind and in his heart. And he wants to live again. And there's this great scene that uh, all the things that had stressed him out before, uh, before he sees what the world would have been like are still there. His car's still wrecked. He's still in some financial trouble that his friends are going to help him with. He's still got the same circumstances. But his whole countenance has, has changed. And, and, and why I'm telling that story is God can work in a way that as you seek him in, in his word, it's not that all the particular details of your life are transformed. It's that you are transformed in the midst of them. Look at Psalm 1, and I just want you to see that first word, blessed. God is telling you the pathway to, to how to be blessed. What does that word mean? It, it must be an important word to God because he uses it in Psalm 1. And then you might remember when Jesus, the word become flesh, is preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the same word he uses. God wants you to be blessed. What's the opposite of blessed? I think it'd be cursed. God wants you to live a life of abundance. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So he's telling us here how to go about that. So I want to give you three exhortations uh, this morning. I'm going to start with this first one. Number one, have confidence in what is to be gained through regular and worthwhile devotions. Have confidence in what is to be gained through regular and worthwhile devotion. So real quick, let's go back, do this exercise with me. The alarm goes off in the morning. Or you just wake up. How many of you, you don't have an alarm? You just naturally just wake up. How many of you wake up in the morning because a child is bouncing on your head? How many of that's, that's you, right? That's, that's how you wake up in the morning. Now, what's the very first coherent thought that comes into your mind? I already told you mine is, what day is it? Maybe yours is, please stop bouncing on my head, right? So, so, so without being dramatic, or, but with sober seriousness, I want you to let your first thought begin to be, if it's not already, I get to meet with the living God this morning and become more like Him. Do you have confidence in what is to be gained through regular and worthwhile devotions? Maybe you found Bible reading boring confusing that's in here or maybe you got a bible reading plan and it was january the first and you made it all the way to january the fifth or you made it to numbers and well think about it this way when i say have confidence in what is to be gained through regular and worthwhile devotions. I can tell you God has great confidence in what will change your life. And you know what it is? Him. He's got great confidence in himself. So, so in the morning, if just suppose Monday morning tomorrow, you got up and let's say you opened up your Bible. And, and on this occasion, let's just, we're just 
Illustration, you open to Psalm 1. What's your honest attitude? I'm here because I'm supposed to be. I'm here because Brandon said I should be. I'm here because my wife thinks I should. Or maybe you'd say, I'd rather be anywhere but here. I'd rather be texting. As a matter of fact, I think I'm going to start doing that right now. I'd rather be looking at the news. I'd rather be watching ESPN. I'd rather be asleep. Or would your attitude be, I'm fine with being here. This is where I'm supposed to be. Or maybe it would be, I want to be here. I just don't know what to do now. Or would it be, I wouldn't be anywhere else. Now, now here's the exhortation. You want to begin to ask God to align your heart and attitude in knowing Christ with the heart and attitude of Christ wanting to be known. Here's what I mean. What statement would have fit Jesus on the cross? I don't really want to be here. That's not it, is it? I'm here because I have to be. That's not it, is it? It is. I would not be anywhere else. So God begins to work in such a way that your heart and attitude in seeking him begins to line up. He's the first seeker, by the way. This is love. Not that we loved him. He loved us first. And devotions to the Lord that are regular and worthwhile. Both of those words are important, by the way, because you can have regular devotions that are not worthwhile. But you also don't want worthwhile devotions that are every now and then. You want them to be regular and worthwhile. Is my heart begins to line up with his heart. In fact, it's his heart that starts to line my heart up to him. I hope that made sense. So I fight my apathy with his devotion. The motivation for me to pursue godliness is his love for me. When I open up the Bible, I can hear what the king of the universe wants me to see and know. And some of it, some of your reading, it's immediately wonderful and comforting and encouraging. Some of it will be confusing and perplexing. Why is that in here? Some of it will be flat out shocking, but all of it is necessary and essential for me to know and to see. Scott Kelly is an American astronaut. I've been reading some of his book, and and, and he spent a year living on the International Space Station. That time, that that one-year period was about five years ago, and he wrote a book recounting the experience called Endurance. And, And he talked about a number of the dangers that astronauts face Uh, living in that environment. At the very top of the list of dangers, he wrote about the ratio of oxygen to carbon dioxide in the air. And here's, here's something he wrote one day. The carbon dioxide level is high today, nearly four millimeters of mercury. I have no point of reference for that other than he said it was high. He says, I can check it on the laptops and see exactly what the concentration of CO2 is in our air, but I don't need to. I can feel it. I can sense the levels with a high degree of accuracy based only on the symptoms I've come to know so well. Headaches, congestion, burning eyes, irritability. Perhaps the most dangerous symptom is impairment to cognitive function. For we have to be able to perform tasks that require a high degree of concentration and attention to detail at a moment's notice. And in an emergency, which can happen at any time, we need to be able to do those tasks right the first time. Losing just a fraction of our ability to focus, make calculations, or solve problems could cost our, us our lives. Now, can, can you recognize some of the symptoms in your own life when you're not regularly in the Word? 
Irritability, I would put up there. Loss of focus. Distraction. No longer priorities that are in line with the kingdom of God. Now, friends, we are at a time right now that the church of Jesus Christ is around the Word of God without ever really being in the Word of God. We're a generation that can more readily tell you about the characters on Friends or The Office or the detailed plot line of the Marvel Cinematic Universe than can tell you the grand storyline of the Bible. When more people can summarize what was argued on the cable news last night, they can summarize Paul's argument from the book of Romans about what the gospel is all about. Psalm 1, verse 4. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Do you know what chaff is? Anybody going to lunch today with a plate of chaff? I'd like some more chaff. I know you'd, you'd choke on the chaff, right? Here, here's the details of chaff. Rootless, fruitless, useless. They're not, not any chaff farmers, Right? When there's a famine, people don't say, we need more chaff. No, they say, we're perishing. We actually need some more food, right? Psalm 1 is telling you, if you live one way, you'll be rootless, fruitless, useless. You live another way, you're like a tree. Look at verse 3. Planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Now, Psalm 1 obviously is a poem, and it's saying two Really awesome things that can be true of your life. Uh, number one, that you'd be a fruitful tree. You'd have something to share with other people. The fruit of the Spirit, for example, that you'd be a person bearing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Man, those things are so rare in the world right now. And then second, if you're a tree, you think about where this psalm was written. Trees provide shade. Especially when you're in the desert and you've been walking. Man, I was at the beach the other day and uh, a couple of weeks ago and I purposed I was going to walk a couple of miles. And I got about a mile and a half in and that sun was just beating down on me. You know what I said? I need to find some shade. A, a person of the word provides shade to other people. That you can come and you can rest here. You can come and rest at my table. We can sit down and we can talk. And uh, I've actually got something that I can share with you. Man, um... You need to spend time with people who have spent time with God. And, and, and also, you, you want to become a person who's got some things that, can, that you can say to other people that are reasonable and led of the Holy Spirit. So, so first exhortation is to have confidence in what is to be gained through regular and worthwhile devotions. Second exhortation is set aside the time and place for devotions and guard against interruptions and distractions. And to do that, let's turn over here to Mark chapter 1, uh, that passage that we read uh, a little bit earlier. You already know this, you already know this, that, uh, that our interruptions and distractions in, in, the, in the culture are constant. In fact, I don't know how long I am into this sermon, I hesitate to even bring it up. Some of us have already reached a limit. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're about 15, 18 minutes in, and my mind right now is elsewhere because you are living in a, in a time and a place of constant interruptions and distractions. And we can't, uh, we can't improve on the example set for, for Jesus, from Jesus, rather. Now look at verse 35 of Mark 1. This helps us to answer the questions, when should, when's a good time for devotions and where should I have devotions? 
and rising very early in the morning. Some of us just came under Holy Spirit conviction right there, didn't we? Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. When should you set aside time to spend with the Lord? I would answer the question, uh, you, you should do it regularly. You should do it regularly. Some of your schedule, you work, you work nights, whatever. I mean, I get that. But regular time in the Lord. Any relationship that you have, if you just talked once a week or a couple of times a year, you, you, you know that that's not a friendship, that's not really a relationship, that's an acquaintance. God has worked in such a way that you can really be a friend of God. So, so look, where, where, when did Jesus go? First thing. Very first thing he did. Any time is better than no time. But the first time is best of all. Because the first part of your day, say that first hour or so, it really does set the pace for the rest of your day. It sets your pace on what you're going to think about, what you're focused on. Now, I already mentioned this earlier, but ask it again. Let's think about it again. What's the first part of your day look like? What do you do first? How many of you, the alarm wakes you up? How many of you just wake up? And then again, bouncing head, bouncing child on your head. Had a couple of those too. All right. What's that first 30 minutes look like? How many of you got to get a cup of coffee? What do you reach for first? Cell phone first? Before I even got out of the bed, got my cell phone, got my news alerts, what was the score of the game? And, and that's all it takes for some of us the rest of the day. I mean, my heart, my heart is just set on other things. Man, be, be careful. Be careful with that. There have been seasons, multiple seasons in my life where I just said, I've got to take my cell phone. It's not going to be beside my bed. It is going to be downstairs in my work bag. I'm not going to look at it until the morning uh, after I've spent time with God's Word. There, there is an increasing number, y'all, of, of us who are 100% attention addicted to things that are not things of God. So be careful with that. Many of us have no room for God in our mornings because he's completely crowded out by Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, texts. Those handful of authors or teachers that you're subscribed to, that you scroll past, that post a verse or two, that's not going to be sufficient for the days ahead. You probably know this already, that those business models are based on you believing things that are not urgent are really urgent. And they're not. Do you know what they are? For the most part, chaff. And the wind is just going to blow it all away. Be wise, be discerning, be prudent. In your use of technology, I always encourage parents, and you hand a device to an 11-year-old, you'll have a 14-year-old who cannot ever put it down. Just be careful. Be wise. When did Jesus seek the Father? First thing, and then where? Away from distractions. I mean, that's, that's sort of the um, uh, impetus behind this passage is people are looking for him. Demands are being made of him. Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him. Well, why did he depart to begin with? Because all sorts of demands were going to be on him that day. All sorts of people were clamoring for his attention. And, and I think this is important. 
Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. So a couple of thoughts together from the passage. Why were people looking for him? Answer, not so that he would preach to them. That's not why they're looking for him. You know why they're looking for him? So that he would do something for them. A healing, for example. They don't want to hear his teaching. That'll be clear if you just read through the Gospel of Mark to the end. So he has to depart and spend time with the Father so that he can align himself with God's purpose for his life. Because if you don't do that, here's what's going to happen to your life. If you don't align with God's purpose for your life by spending undistracted time knowing him from his word, other people will tell you what your purpose in life is and you'll begin to align with what their expectations are. And that is a joyless, fruitless life. That is a life that is never at rest, never at ease, and it's not going to be fruitful. So if you don't seek to rise, uh, uh, rise rather to seek the Lord, your days are going to be a blur of busyness with no fruitfulness. And, and may none of us confuse busyness with productivity. Jesus had a busy day ahead of him. He has a day where all sorts of demands, even his well-meaning, well-intentioned friend Simon has an expectation for him. I remember when I was about 13 years old, probably listening to a sermon kind of like the one I'm sharing right now. I said, I agree, I should be in the Word. And so I got one of those one-year Bibles, eighth grade, thereabouts. My alarm would go off at six. I'd jump up, grab it, turn my lamp on, skim that day's reading, turn my lamp off, and try to get 15 more minutes of sleep. And I was thinking to myself, you know what, actually, I was thinking to myself, I know this isn't very helpful. But I just felt I want to check this box. Friends, I'm just encouraging you. This isn't a box to check. This is a God to be salt. Everyone is looking for you. Some of you know what that's like. All of you moms know what that's like. Everybody's looking for you. It, if you don't seek the Father when no one is around, when everyone is around, they make your priorities and schedule for you. By the way, who are you seeking? Who are you going to look for? It's not just, it's not just other people distract you from God. It can also be you distract other people from God. You have an influence on others. The text that you're sending, does it point people to Jesus or draw people away? Are you focusing people on fruitfulness or chaff? And, and then where does he go? It says he goes to a desolate place. So that's a place without interruptions or distractions. And you need a place like that too. Jesus said, when you pray, go into your closet and close the door. And your father who sees in secret, that's the secret of the spiritual life, by the way. Your father who sees in secret. Now, I know at the time and places are different. But that would be a place without pings and alerts and beeps and rings. Jesus was not hiding from people. Let's make that clear. He was preparing to be fruitful among people. Because some of us would say, hey, I'm all for this. It's not a withdrawal in sort of saying, I'm done with everybody. That's, a, that's, a, that's not what we're talking about. It was a withdrawal to be with the Father so that he could effectively be with people. So the way that I would say it is, I cannot be a good husband. I cannot be a good dad. I cannot be a fruitful pastor. I cannot be a good friend without being alone regularly with the Father i got one more exhortation. We'll do it fairly quickly. 
and, and that is read the Bible to change and not to finish. Read the Bible to change and not to finish. That's what I would say to my eighth grade self. You're just trying to finish a chapter and be done, but you're not really reading. Uh, I, I pray you'll have the grace to, to receive this in the way that I mean it. Most of us don't know how to really read. I mean, read the words, but when I'm talking about reading the Bible, I'm talking about meeting with, with God. We'll talk more next Sunday about what to actually do practically when you're reading the Bible. If you're not currently regularly reading the Bible, I would suggest that you would start a chapter a day in maybe Mark or First John, the Gospel of John. Those would be good places to start if you just don't have a starting point. I really appreciate what um, Gretchen Ronovic writes in her book, Ragged. The title of her book is Ragged, Spiritual Disciplines for the Spiritually Exhausted. She writes, Satan will call you a legalist when you try to regularly pray and read your Bible. Then he will call you a failure when you forget to do those things. Anybody been there? Yeah. There is likely no other discipline that will make you feel categorized or rated as a Christian more than Bible reading. I mean, we love to categorize and rate people, don't, you? don't we? We yelp everything, right? So, so she writes, let's examine the emotional baggage we have associated with reading the Bible so that we can recognize what we needlessly attach to this gift. Do you feel guilty when you miss a day of Bible reading? Do you feel shame for how much you dread reading the Bible? Do you have to bribe yourself to read the Bible? Do you feel the need to keep pushing to the end of the chapter even when you have a question in the middle? When you don't understand the Bible, does it shake your faith? Are you intimidated by reading the Bible on its own without a devotional like you're not smart enough to understand it? Do you feel guilty if you don't get much out of your Bible reading? Have you ever listed Bible reading as a New Year's resolution and made it until numbers? I think I said that earlier. Did I, does it count? Was it enough? What am I getting out of this anyway? So, so a word of caution and then a word of encouragement. Let's remember that the people who knew their Bibles best during the ministry of Jesus were the Pharisees. They read it more than anybody. Could quote it. Memorized it. Most of the Pharisees had the book of Psalms and other books of the Bible memorized. Now, we'll talk more in the weeks to come. I'm all for Bible memorization. But Bible memorization that doesn't lead to heart transformation is pharisaical. So just because you read the Bible regularly does not mean that your heart is actually being shaped by the Bible. That's what the exhortation means. Read the Bible to change, not to finish. So, instead of a instead of, uh, uh, box to check, and I've got one of those Bible reading plans, and it's got a little box beside each chapter as I read, maybe swap that out. Instead, start making a list of things that God's revealing to you through His Word that He can bring change to in your life. Not a box to check, oh, I'm going to stop being irritable and angry all the time. I mean, He'll, he'll talk to you about that. You're not reading to finish the chapter. You're reading unto change. So again, next Sunday, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about specifically what to do. But let's end today with, with maybe making a, sure you've got a, what I think is the right approach. I think for a long time, I would come to the Bible 
And my understanding is, is that this was mainly kind of like a boss talking to his employees. You know what I mean? Like, this is what you're supposed to do. Now go do it. And God's beginning to help me and reminding me that it's, it's not so much a boss meeting with his employees as a, as a father meeting with his child. I take that straight from John 1. But to those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And you might remember, my favorite chapter is Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal. When the prodigal son decided to go home, his best hope was that his father would treat him like an employee. I, I will be treated as one of my father's hired servants. And when he goes home, he, he's, he comes to know that his father isn't bringing him back as a worker, but as a, as a child. In conclusion, let's go back to Psalm 1. Just highlight a few other things briefly. I think another really helpful habit to cultivate as you read the Bible, um, and sometimes this is a lot easier than other times, is, is, is then say, how, how does this chapter point to Jesus? Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Man, there had been some wicked counsel given to Jesus, sometimes by his own friends. Peter, for example, you'll never go to the cross. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. You remember when Jesus was crucified, they scoffed. He claims to be the Son of God. Let him save himself. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What was Jesus doing the night before he was crucified? Meditating on God's law. He will be like a tree. Firmly planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he, he prospers. Hey, can I go on and tell you there's only one righteous, and it's not you, and it's not me. We have all of us walked in the counsel of the wicked. We have all gone in the path of sinners. There's only one who's righteous, and it's Jesus. Now, the wicked are not so. They're like chaff the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. That's a problem for you and for me. Because we're wicked, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The only way that you're not going to perish is because of Jesus. Jesus is the only truly righteous person. A tree provides two things that you need in the desert, food and shade. The cross is our sustenance and it is our shade. Now by the Holy Spirit, he uses, the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to make us more like him. So have confidence that over time, regular time spent reading the Word of God is beneficial. Set aside time. If I ask you, when will you read the Bible tomorrow? If you don't have a definite answer for that question, in all likelihood, you won't, right? So set aside time. Start with 20 minutes. I have confidence in the Lord that if you'll start with 20 minutes, you'll soon find that 20 minutes is not near enough. And then read to change, not to finish. It is finished. That's what he said on the cross. So you don't have to read to finish. You can read that the one on the cross can now bring change to your life. Let's stand together. We'll pray together.
And they'll have a time of response. And really time of response is for you to resolve some things, decide some things, take what we've read in the Word and have God, by His grace, bring it to bear in your real, actual life. So let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd cultivate a spirit here among us continually that the deepest appetite we have is not for entertainment. It's, it's not for the quickly passing things of the world. It's, it's not for whatever's trending or whatever word we would use, but our appetite is for the things of God, for holiness, for your word. Lord, I, I pray that we are a people who in the morning we seek you. Increasingly, may our first thoughts of the waking day be, I get to meet with the living God today. We'd be blessed in that way. God, give us grace that we won't be like the chaff, fruitless, useless, rootless. But uh, for whatever the years ahead bring, be ready to bear fruit for your glory because one one of the reasons for that is because we regularly do seek you. We pray this in Jesus' name.